0: From training to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
1: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 96. Today's show is a really important topic that I don't think gets enough appreciation. Um, And as I went through and, and kind of brainstormed who the guest was that I wanted to have on with me, I thought it was really important to get someone who understood both the strength and conditioning side of things, the throwing side of things, but also the rehabilitation side of things. Because we see so many athletes who make mistakes with their pre and their post throwing routines. Sometimes it's good to work backwards from a clinical context to appreciate what the injured athletes are doing wrong and also kind of redesign um, some of these programs to help them out before and after they throw so i'm excited for this one super bright guy who's become an integral part of you know the success we've had at cressy sports performance florida so i think you'll really like it this episode is brought to you by owens recovery science owens recovery science is a single source for clinicians looking to learn and implement personalized blood flow restriction exercise and rehabilitation into their practice Johnny Owens and his team work tirelessly to provide you with the most up-to-date, accurate information regarding BFR and its clinical and performance applications. Owens Recovery Science is not only the leader in BFR education and content, but they're also leading the charge in research with involvement in BFR clinical trials worldwide and a multi-million dollar research grant portfolio. Don't know what BFR is? Looking to learn more about it? Go learn from the ORS crew via their one-day in-person certification courses and read their blog at owensrecoveryscience.com. And be sure to check out the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, where Johnny interviews BFR researchers from around the world, in addition to the deep dives he takes and the educational team takes on specific topics, all with the practicing clinician in mind. In addition to teaching you how to integrate BFR into your practice, Owens Recovery Science also sells the equipment to help you implement BFR in the safest, most efficient manner possible. ORS is the exclusive U.S. distributor of the Delphi personalized tourniquet system for BFR which is recognized even by the competitors as the gold standard in blood flow restricted training and is the only BFR system on professional sports workers comp in every U.S. league. The Delphi PTS for BFR is the only research validated device on the market and it's recognized worldwide for its industry leading ability to quickly and objectively determine the correct pressure to use and maintain that pressure throughout the intervention. I used the device myself heavily during my rehabilitation from a recent knee surgery and we integrate it regularly in our baseball programs and our rehabilitation work here at Cressy Sports Performance. For a limited time, you can use the discount code CRESSY to receive $100 off on one of the Owens Recovery Science certification courses. Just go to OwensRecoveryScience.com, select courses in the menu bar to see their upcoming offers, and then enter the code at checkout. Again, that's Cressy BFR to get $100 off. Make sure to act now as this offer expires on June 12th. Today's guest is a physical therapist at Diamond Physical Therapy, which operates out of Cressy Sports Performance, Florida. He completed his undergraduate education at Valdosta State University with a bachelor's degree in exercise physiology, and then went on to complete his doctorate of physical therapy from the University of St. Augustine. After graduation, he completed a strength conditioning internship at CSP Florida, and following that internship, he joined Diamond Physical Therapy, where he sees patients from all walks of life, but with a particular focus in baseball. In addition to his physical therapy responsibilities, he also serves as the baseball performance manager at Proteus Motion. Please welcome to the show, Tanner Allen. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show, Tanner.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm glad to finally uh, be introduced and to have opportunity to. Tag along with some of the other greats that you've had on the podcast.
1: Oh, no, man, you you've earned this spot. You've been a, an integral part of what we're doing at CSB Florida, and and I'm actually really excited to touch on this topic with you because I think it's um, it's really right in your wheelhouse with respect to a lot of the athletes that you work. You know, not just on the you know, the rehabilitation side, but, you know, really as a strength edition coach over the years, you you play that role as well. So I think it's a a good um, opportunity to hit it clinically and proactively. So I I think maybe that leads into my first question. Let's talk about your perspective. One thing that I think is really interesting about your path is that you, you finished physical therapy school, and then you came and did a strengthening inter, uh, excuse me, a strengthening conditioning internship with us at CSB Florida. Most people will do it the other way around. You know, we'll see people who will come and intern with us, you know, in the last year or two of their undergrad career, and then they'll head off to do a DPT. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what was the rationale for going to CSB after you finished your, you know, your physical therapy school and how did interning at CSB, you know, complement what you learned in that, you know, schooling experience to get you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, it's uh, a non-traditional way of getting here for sure and one that I loved and honestly a scenario that I'm extremely thankful for and how it played out. When I look back at how things have fallen into place and one of those things that pops into my mind regularly as one of the best decisions I could have made. Going back real quickly just to give some of the viewers some context on how I ended up here. I always wanted to do strength and conditioning, but I ultimately went to the PT route because I wanted, or I was finding myself injured and had to teach myself how to do things coming from a smaller town and didn't have very many options other than just figuring it out by trial and fire. something that I absolutely loved and learned a lot of life lessons that helped me today. And I, Ultimately, fell in love with the idea of talking and spending time with people and helping them through things. But I knew for me to get the most out of my time and helping others, and particularly athletes, I wanted to combine the two professions of physical therapy and strengthening and conditioning. So I got my CSCS in my gap year between undergrad, waiting to start, start physical therapy school as a way to try and bolster my resume and continue working towards uh, future goals, wanting to be able to see guys from a rehabilitative state all the way up through return to play and beyond. So it only made sense to get a mentorship in the strength and conditioning realm, just like I had in clinical rotations for PT school. Obviously, I never thought things would fall into place the way that they have. Uh, I've gone with the flow uh, and no better example than, you know, everything aligning for me. Uh, as it was when I was applying for the CSP internship. So it took some prior planning and having to have a vision for finding the ideal opportunity or situation to pounce on. So I applied for the internship in fall of uh, 2019 intern class, while actually in my sixth of eight terms in PT school, while in the middle of a clinical rotation, I was visiting my girlfriend, who is also a physical therapist, and she was basically encouraging me to do so when I was trying to talk myself kind of off a, a ledge of doing it. So, you know, I took that jump. I did so. So huge shout out to my girlfriend for pushing me to do that. But I personally had one of those moments that, you know, when I look back was like, wow, you know, if I didn't take that jump then uh, as much as I was trying to talk myself down, like I said, from you know, a financial standpoint at the time, before starting the next uh, chapter as being a new grad PT. You know I'm, I'm very thankful for uh, that extra push. And ultimately, I applied thinking that you know, I would have done my due diligence and I could sleep easy at night. And then in, during my seventh term of PT school, I got accepted while on a clinical rotation and started preparing for the CSP internship upon graduation. So fast forward, August 2019, I graduated with my doctorate of physical therapy, and one week later, I was stepping on the floor as a fresh intern, looking and eager to learn more about strength and dishing in the hopes that, uh, you know, I'd have the opportunity to have a mentorship structure, particularly in this type of environment. And I came in open-minded and attempted not to bias myself from the PT background, Um, Going back to the original point of the question, though, hands down, the biggest uh, factor that I took away from the internship at that point in my career was the progressions and regressions of therapeutic exercise. I graduated from the University of St. Augustine, which is known heavily for manual therapy, but I felt like as a new grad, I was lacking on the exercise prescription. So what better place to come than CSP? I learned very quickly that I was in the appropriate place. And honestly, I contribute having gone through PT first and having my CSCS prior to coming to CSP for maximizing my experience. It would uh, have been a lot less uh, if I had been the other way around, uh, undoubtedly, uh, because of my foundational knowledge, work ethic, time management, uh, staying up late, reminiscing on what I learned that day, but also having to study for my national physical therapy exam so I could actually practice PT you know, when I went to school for. The timing of the internship, though, in my career helped from a perspective of looking at evaluations of athletes and programming in a completely different limelight. I had the experience from the last three years trying to hone my skills on movement capabilities with an extensive medical background that was very beneficial with day-to-day interactions. The CSP environment and conversations with colleagues. Hindsight 2020, as always, it was the best decision I could have made at the time and put me in a position to surround myself with individuals like yourself, Shane Rye, Brian Kaplan, and Eric Schoenberg. And oddly enough, my current mentor Schoenberg would say, I added an extra layer of icing to a cupcake that a new grad PT wouldn't have possessed coming out of PT school if I hadn't thrown myself into this environment. Not to mention, I love the challenge of taking a step back to learn more and it's been a huge benefit.
1: That's awesome, man. And you, you, like I said, you become an integral part of that. And you know, I I think it's, you know, obviously your work is predominantly on the physical therapy side of things, but we work, you know, really side by side every day. And your frame of reference now is predominantly injured athletes. So as we kind of, you know, chip away at this topic of pre and post throwing routines, let's, let's talk about the pre throwing period first. So when you, when you have athletes that come in to see you, whether they're you know, post-op Tommy John's or their, you know, labor repairs or, you know, anything, you know, in the middle there, Um, you know, what are the biggest mistakes that you're seeing with, you know, athletes of all ages, whether we're talking about 12 year olds, or whether we're talking about big leaguers that are coming your way with, with arm issues, stress in their backs, whatever it may be when it comes to the pre-throwing routine.
0: Yeah, that's uh, a great question. And one that I have commonly thought about in my new role at physical, as a physical therapist, at Diamond Physical Therapy within CSP. So I think it's important first off to you know, have an understanding of what pre-throwing would be. Uh, Throwing is such a dynamic and forceful movement that you wanna put yourself in a position to succeed before you start throwing. So four uh, common like pop up mistakes that I would, you know, regularly see that I think that I would like to talk about would be, one is lack of time management. you have guys that don't plan ahead accordingly or appropriately. You know, Typically, I like to recommend at least 7 to 10 minutes minimum, but that can range anywhere close to 30 minutes plus. Uh, for some individuals, You know, over time working with guys on the rehab side, we will modify this to fit what they feel is good for them without it being overbearing. On the other hand, like you mentioned, you have various age groups, younger athletes, where warm-ups are a burden and it takes time for them to you know, buy in and have pride in the warm up. And unfortunately, you know, I typically, if I'm seeing, you know, those types of patient post injury, they tend to listen a little earlier, which is a trend that I want to change and hope this podcast assists in doing so. Secondly, uh, would be an inappropriate exercise for that individual. Uh, you know, I see this every day where high school athletes trying to use heavy J bands compared to you know, using the simpler version of a junior J band, or they come in with overly complicated warmups that you know are potentially seen on social media. Um, following along with that, you think about how high school warmups and things are structured with team circles, even you know college and professional practices practices consisting of arm circles, toe touches, haphazardly done J band movements light sprints and you know voila they're you know ready to throw uh none of this you know takes into account the different body types or anything you know benefit or the benefit of the doubt though to you know the circular type warmups is there needs to be the camaraderie that comes with these environments but you know even if we could just get you know the pitchers that have individualized routine is a great start um, and then the third common mistake would be potentially be the ordering of warmups. So you have guys that are jumping around from dynamic warmups to stretching to plyo balls, then going back to self myofascial release and then zero. And that has absolutely zero structure. So that also could fit in a little bit with the inappropriate exercise domain, but it comes down to lack of lack of knowledge on the individual's part uh, something I love about CSP and the work that you have done and the coaches do is the great stepwise progression and warm up for strength training. I like to use that kind of mindset. Same thing for pre throwing. And I'd say 80% of the cases I see that involve throwing, one of the first things I have to do is address the warm up in some capacity, in particularly the ordering. Turning like the focus a little bit uh to common mistake number four is turning the warm-up into a workout. Whereas the desired result of pre-throwing is going to be activation of targeted muscles, not a set of external rotation exercises to failure or burnout before you're going out and throw. That leaves you in a state of being, you know, gassed or low on energy tank before the you know event of throwing even starts.
1: I think, you know, one one thing that's a, a really good line to throw in here, it's it's actually a line from Tim Grover, who, you know, trained Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade. He had a line in one of his books where he said, don't wait around for someone to teach you something that you already know, right? So we all know warming up is important. So, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, young athletes, you're like, oh, I'll do anything to throw harder. I'll do anything to get better. You know, really the, the number one thing you can do to to get better at baseball, to throw baseballs harder, et cetera, et cetera, is, is to have continuity in your training, to stay healthy, um, and to make sure your body's physically prepared every time you actually go out and do throw. So I always, you know, you hear this from, you know, 100% of players and then you see, you know, 90% of players completely butcher their warm-up. Um, So sometimes it's really just about like the, the mentality of placing a true focus on it. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, it, especially with the high school age group individuals, mm-hmm. it's, know just getting them to buy in that the warm-up really can make a difference in one how their arm feels how they feel post throwing uh whereas on the flip side of the coin you have guys that are used to training uh they take pride in the warm-up and you know the consistency and the durability and things definitely show because you know they're spending time on the things that matter to prep themselves for that activity
1: you know one other thing i i think you know i can probably add from you know, from seeing this day in and day out and being around big leaders for you know over a decade now is you never want to base your warm-ups off what you see at a major league baseball game. And the reason is is simple that a major league game, you know, it might take place at seven o'clock and guys have been doing some form of activity for five, six hours by that point. A lot of them have already lifted. A lot of them have done all of their pre-work inside the stadium, whether it's in the cages, whether it's in the weight room, all that stuff. So the stuff that you see when you show up at like 6.45 for a 7.05 start, you know, kind of like the moving around on the line, but you know, where the, you know, some guys are just kind of doing a foot hip flexor stretch and looking out into the stands that's actually not, you know, 95% of major leaguers warmups. That's actually just kind of them, you know, going out and like appreciating the atmosphere and like kind of getting to their zone. And, you know, half the time they're talking with like a, a player on the opposing team or something like that. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that, you know, fans see is that they they think that's what's really taking place. In reality, the quality stuff's all taking place inside before they ever step foot on the field. Um, you know, and kind of building on that, let's, let's maybe, you know, Put this into like a little bit more context that people can really understand. You know, what's your what's your opinion of like a streamlined warm up for someone who needs to establish a basic pre throwing routine? What's the order you go in? What do you think the key non negotiable entities are? And then, you know, maybe once we've we've talked about that, we can talk about where maybe it gets sexier when you have more equipment and more expertise at your fingertips.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, first off, I think that that's an extremely important uh, statement that you made. That ninety percent of like potential warmups are already done, you know, behind closed doors that, you know, the general public might not see. And that's something that's more evident today, you know, having worked on both sides and now, you know, post COVID area era, having gone back and actually watched games of seeing what you actually visually see on the field versus what takes place behind those scenes. So I think um, there are at least six pivotal points that need to be, you know, Included in a good warm up, and it comes down to having a game plan that decreases time and builds routine. So, soft tissue is kind of like the the first one in that chain, uh, whether it's self-administered via foam roller, lacrosse ball, Theragun, or given you know by me manually, more so on the rehab side in some way. And then, secondly, you're going to have you know your ground-based focused mobility. Uh, movements, which are going to be addressing the lowest hanging fruit in a timely manner, something that's going to get this athlete ready based on their individual presentation and evaluation. So simple things such as PRI PRI breathing, uh, ground mobility, focused movements based on the individual from an evaluation standpoint. So examples are targeting hip mobility, T-spine mobility, or lower extremity limitations or deficiencies and then kind of transitioning more towards your ground-based activation. So I like to view this as we just created a transient and proven range of motion or altered their state of central nervous system state. And now we need to turn on specific regions of the body uh, as throwing is going to be a full body routine. It only makes sense that we go through these checkoffs. Uh, This is all dependent on the individual and we can't fit a square peg in a round hole just as we wouldn't prescribe the same warm up for a stiff athlete as we would a hypermobile or lax athlete so i personally like to break it down into regions of the body simplicity and time management along with flowing fluidly between positions to avoid confusion or having the athlete get up and down you know walk all the way across the gym to grab equipment um, so we address all things you know particularly in prone uh, first, and then, you know, in supine. Uh, I like to always include a core or glute activation as we're getting ready for the full body task, And it only makes sense and a common link in the chain that we want to have a positive impact on signaling the brain that this area is turned on. Uh, And then finally, any seated positions or things before we transition to actually getting the athlete up in movement. Uh, all in all, a well-established warm-up on paper should be you know, similar to an essay that you wrote in school. You have your introductory paragraph, your body paragraphs, and your concluding paragraphs. <laughs> and oddly enough, I was horrible at, at English in school, yet here I am referencing writing. Uh, I know a few people will get a kick out of that.
1: First time but, a five-paragraph essay has ever been referenced on the Elite Baseball Development podcast, yeah. so you're, you're a trendsetter. <laughs>
0: But the, the last three parts can be, you know, slightly interchangeable just as like the bodies of your essay can. Uh, yet the, the, the ordering that makes the most sense for me would be, you know, your full body dynamic movements. So tying together the ground-based movements with the individual's needs in mind into a functional movement pattern that targets both multi and tri movements as well as challenging single leg stability, hinging, you know, light plyometrics, skips, jogs, and things that start to make a change in the body temperature of the athlete. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we move into more of like your arm care specific. So once the athlete is in a state of feeling like their body is warmed up, I like to get into arm care, something simple. It's, it's not rocket science. I want the muscles responsible for upward rotation of the scapula. So, serratus anterior, lower trap, and upper trap, but with the added focus on, you know, the serratus anterior and the lower trap being the prime targets. Then, of course, the external rotators in a controlled environment, and then something that recreates a more dynamic layback or changing into and out of ER and IR and engaging the posterior cuff in prep for throwing. You know, all of these things uh, can be done in different parts, respectively, but you know, an ideal scenario on throwing days, this needs to be checked off. Um, it would be the same as, you know, SpaceX or NASA 10 minutes before liftoff pulling the plug on the launch. In this case, it would be throwing, you know, the posterior cuff and upper rotation activation must be done in my eyes before throwing. Um, and I kind of have a funny story, you know, just the other day, I was working with an individual that, I was not seeing for PT, but mainly asking for his help to perform, uh, supine ER holds on me early in the morning as part of my arm care routine, (laughs) as I throw upwards of four to six times a day with all my rehab guys. And it, it turned into one of these scenarios. You scratch my back. I'll scratch your back with us trading a set of ER holds for myself. And I'll do a set for you. You know, later that day, he made the comment to me that his arm felt a hundred times better, you know, with his throwing, just from having, you know, felt proper in-range cuff activation before going out. So, you know, just a, a subtle thing uh, to turn that area on has huge benefits. And then the last uh, phase of, you know, a structured up, you know, needs to encompass some of those athletic-based movements and full-body sequencing movements. This is going to be your, uh, you know, your med balls, You know, we have that opportunity to use Proteus here at CSP, which I love having for, you know, things such as post activation potentiation drills to get short term benefits. And this is also where you can then throw in some of your plyo balls, skill specific demands or insertion of proprioception and kinesthetic awareness of the body and arm care, uh, an awareness of the kinesthetic awareness and of the body and arm can also be added in.
1: I like it. So you, you kind of hinted at Proteus and I know you'll take it even further with other guys, obviously we have cases, everybody has, unique, you know, kind of um, you know, needs in that regard. So when you want to go kind of next level with stuff, you know, what are the things that you find are, you know, or maybe not the things that you introduce to the 16 year old kid who's, who's just kind of like find his way, but you might throw at your major leaguer who's, you know, who's doing a rehab. Like I know, you know, right now you've got a guy who had a, um, you know, a lat tear that with a repair, and then there was a humeral shaft fracture. Like, you know, he's obviously a guy who's got a really substantial injury history, a big old scar from that repair. You know, what are you doing differently with, with someone like that versus the, you know, the novice high school kid?
0: Yeah. I think the, the one thing that, my environment at CSP allows me to, you know, use is Proteus. So, you know, just quickly to hit on Proteus, I know we can make an entire podcast solely on that, but having an opportunity or an implement uh, such as Proteus to get a full body activation from the ground up that is in a sense, similar to injecting the serve or central nervous system with input from the ground up and, you know, allowing, proprioception and kinesthetic awareness for all our athletes, but you referenced, uh, you know, the one specific athlete that I'm working with, any type of feedback that we can give his brain on where his body is in space, and then translate that to the field in particular, his throwing is a huge step. So building on that question, though, specific needs of individuals to just kind of like spice up their, you know, pre-throwing routine, since we have the opportunity to do so. And you know, most of my sessions with guys are an hour. So the more that I can, you know, educate them on proper ways to, you know, do things pre-throwing, you know, I can do so. But on the rehab side of things, like questions I have to ask myself, you know, are they coming back from, you know, post-surgery? If so, you know, what are they dealing with? What are their biggest limitations from throwing optimally? You know, how old they are? Uh, Is there any differences in various age groups? Um, there's tons of different things that could, you know, play into you know where I would go with adding to their routines. Are they an unstable guy? Say they are coming back from recent subluxation injury of the shoulder, dealing with labral pathologies. You have you know shoulder strains. Are they a guy that only knows one gear and they don't know how to like tailor things back a little bit? Are there any factors like habitual habitual postures, you know, where guys? you know, have the opportunity to train with me for a few hours out of the week in the grand scheme of things. But then, you know, they go right back in front of sitting in front of their TV, you know, playing video games. So having the opportunity to take it a step deeper on the individualized program in my mind and having the opportunity opportunity to get granular is what gets me as a PT or, you know, our coaches. To get the most out of uh, you know our guys before they're throwing, and you know that's just to name a few. But ultimately, it comes down to each player being open-minded and aware as to what their limitations are, and having tools or game plans uh, to address those.
1: And I think you know, really, and that, and that was all great stuff. I think it's it is important for us to qualify stuff, just just because we're talking about of a, a lot of different entities doesn't mean this takes an hour and a half. You know, most most of these guys you know, it's somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 25 minutes before they're, you know, they're really out there throwing a five ounce baseball. You know, it might be, you know, five to seven minutes of foam rolling, you know, and then maybe there's a little bit of manual therapy with you just to kind of get to motion where it needs to be. There's some positional breathing, there's some mobility stuff, there's some, you know, ground-based and standing, there's some scap control and cuff activation. Maybe they throw the med ball, maybe they hop on Proteus, you know, maybe they do some rhythmic stabilizations. But it's this isn't taking four and a half hours. Um, you know, it's it's really just a you know a, a 20 to 30 minute initiative to get them going, get body temperature up and really groove those patterns that we need. And I, I think we talk about all these different entities that it can include. And a lot of people think that, you know, it's just it's gonna be absurdly long. And I don't feel like we have any athletes that complain about the length of the warm-up um as we kind of advance let's talk maybe about the post-throwing period now because it's, it's equally important um and, and as we do that you know, there's probably a few things that we should look at you know is first you know in, in the grand scheme of things right I, i'll often talk about throwing either makes athletes tighter or it makes them looser you know they go in one of the direction they get more unstable or they they lock down and while well, those guys that lock down you see you know the transient changes right off they come off you can see limited shoulder flexion and a loss of you know rotation whether it's er or ir and then the next day, it actually might be more, you know, substantially worse. as you know they, they lay down a little bit of you know delayed onset muscle soreness potentially on top of it. But you know, what are the mistakes that you're seeing athletes after they finish, you know, throwing? What, what are what's your go to stuff that they're not doing?
0: Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot that we could take away from the pre-throwing mistakes in that as well. But I think first it depends on the type of day of throwing that the athlete does, you know, as that range is, is extremely wide, but if we have some common things across the athletes that have been talked about, uh, or that I've seen, it would probably be the obvious one would be they don't even do a cool down at all. So, uh, example, someone hopping on the bus or a car after a game, not flushing out the garbage and bringing in the groceries in the context of optimal recovery, you know, per research, We are, you know, prolonging the recovery when you stop activity after an aggressive exercise and don't do anything and the tissue gets stagnant for the next few hours. Or, you know, that even delays proper recovering, you know, kind of building off that, you know, you have the guys that try and overcook already fatigued muscles by Mm -hmm. pounding out cuff work or scapular work. Now, on certain days, this could be appropriate, appropriate, such as getting extra work spread out in a workout program. If you throw earlier in the day and you had a light throwing day, um, or if you have a a good game plan for the rest of the week, then that could be appropriate. Um, Next could be, you know, not knowing how their body responds best or which bucket they fall into. Kind of like you referenced, you you got guys that get stiff, you have guys that are going to, you know, actually increase range of motion. So knowing where you are and which of those guys you are Uh, you know, being able to spend a few extra moments on soft tissue work to address some of that transient loss in range of motion. You know, this is where I on the rehab side can come in pre or post throwing to address how those athletes typically respond. Um, But you have to think about like the high eccentric stress demands that lead to, you know, that shorter range of motion loss. So knowing uh, if someone needs to be a light cool down guy with potential potential, uh, positional breathing exercises and be good to go. Or, you know, the other way around, they actually need to do a little bit of follow-up stability stuff. So it's, it's, it's insane how wide ranging different individuals go with post routines. And frankly, this is one that I continue to learn about on a daily basis. And then the last one is not taking advantage of modalities. Um, if you have access as part of your team or individual routine as a way to kickstart that recovery stage and put your arm, more importantly, your body in the best position to meet the demands of throwing, you know, you should take advantage of any things that you have at your disposal.
1: I I talk a lot about you know, this concept of a high-low model, right? So, you know, if we use the example of a starting pitcher who goes out and throws, you know, 100 pitches and they're on a five-day rotation as a major leaguer, you know, we need to find a couple of lows, you know, between day zero when they pitch and day five when they pitch again. Um, You know, obviously day four is always gonna be a low the day before you make a start. So either day one, two, or three has to be a lower key event. But what we'll often see with athletes is they'll they'll actually shoot themselves in the foot a little bit because they go out and they throw a hundred pitches they've already had a really stressful event and then they come off and they they beat the crap out of themselves with a high volume of rotator cuff stuff um you know it's just it's it's generally not a great strategy to add a lot of fatigue to an already fatigued system you know especially when we're talking about you know rotator cuff muscles that you know they function are very tight window you have you know really small amount of clearance from an impingement standpoint in the shoulder and you you generally speaking want to train your cuff to 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 work effectively not to just you know power through fatigue so i've never been a huge fan of really forcing stuff right after an event now the difference for that though is if we're talking about a relief pitcher right because there we want to consolidate stress they go out and they throw 13 pitches in an inning they come off they're they're nice and lathered up you know might as well go ahead and get some good work in there because you know they might have the next day off and it, you're, you're automatically working into like a perfect high low model if you're lucky so really, it has to be dependent on volume, intensity, all those things. Um, and also time of year, right. You, you sometimes can throw things at people a little bit differently off season, knowing that, you know, you're, you're looking for the long game, you know, you want to develop some kind of adaptations that's going to protect you when you, you know, you take your foot off the gas pedal from a training standpoint during the in season, you know, phase. So I love that, but where you, where you hit the nail on the head is, is, you know, modalities, you know, if you have access to them, you know, it, you might as well take advantage of them. And, you know, I think we've been pretty upfront that we're not big on icing and, and I don't think we've, I've ever even seen you use an ice pack at our facility. Um, I'm not even sure we have an ice machine in there, uh, aside from what's in the freezer in the staff lounge, but what are the ones that, that you find yourself using the most from a recovery optimization standpoint with our athletes?
0: Yeah, I think that's also, you know, very wide ranging. I'd say the, the most common one is obviously being a manual therapist, physical therapist, Uh, I want to have the, the toolkit to where I can, you know, fit an individual's needs based on like how I see them present when I watch them move or how they respond to all the different variations that you just referenced. So having insight into whether or not it's a rehab candidate or someone that's kind of past that point of where there may be a functional or structural issue in athlete. And I'm just trying to help flush out the tissues, bringing in, you know, new blood supply to, you know, kickstart that recovery, uh, window in the right direction. And, you know, you also hit on it. I do not do any icing. I have to definitely contribute a lot of that to, you know, the Gary Reinold podcast that you did way back when having experienced a couple of injuries myself in that, you know, two-year window, give or take and experimented with some of that stuff. It really does hinder, your ability to recover. So the manual side of things to kickstart the recovery process, but then, you know, having the opportunity to work with, you know, different types of modalities, such as BFR, which we've recently got. Um, and I love it from either like the recovery implementation with rehab guys looking to tap into that extra areas of improvement, improvement that we can make or, you know, using it even more so for like the strength and hypertrophy during rehab cases for recovery functions by engorging muscles with blood. And then, you know, having the ability to flush them afterwards with soft tissue in conjunction, Uh, but also muscle activation, increasing that we can get it and various growth hormones that are released. So tying that specific realm into like the recovery paradigm has been very beneficial. And then another cool implementation that I've had the opportunity to recently get certified in is dry needling. So just having the subtle ability to make a change on overly active muscles or highly increased tone muscles or sore muscles, you know, I don't typically just use needles alone. I like to use electro acupuncture units where I insert a series of needles in a few, you know, well-placed muscular structures, set the machine up similar to what you would kind of experience with a Mark Pro, causing a series of repetitive contractions, very low intensity, um, you know, great great at driving change within the muscle, where, you know, as unlike Mark Pro, I can get the needle inside the tissue and sometimes having a well-placed needle will cause a localized twitch response, making the effectiveness a little bit more, uh, potential. And then, you know, lastly, just kind of, since I mentioned dry needling, dry needling is definitely not for everyone, but if, you know, if I have a rehab guy that needs assistance or a step above manual therapy, you know, having this option has really been game changer or really been game changing in, uh, like the short period of time that I've had to, you know, use that. And then the, the final two is going to be, you know, cupping, Similar to soft tissue, but guys can administer it to themselves. Uh, You know, a lot of guys really love it in the facility. And then, you know, other guys, it doesn't really work for as much. So having those insights into individuals on what they like and what they don't like helps uh, kind of bridge that gap. But then, you know, lastly, Mark Pro, the continuous active recovery capabilities that you can, you know, slap, slap the pads on you know, the guys can go about, you know, doing something or just, you know, kick back and relax and let the device, you know, get the recovery train moving by, you know, taking out the garbage and bringing in the groceries, like I mentioned earlier.
1: I like it. And, you know, I think you know, we even maybe even skipped over the two most important things and that's, you know, nutrition slash hydration and sleep. Um, I thought you know, we had Jimmy Nelson on a recent podcast and, you know, you've worked closely with Jimmy this past off season. You know, I was, I was proud of him for bringing those to to light first and foremost, because they definitely, you know, take the cake with respect to what we can do. I think everybody wants to go for the sexy stuff and, you know, the stuff you outlined definitely works. But if, you know, the nutrition, the sleep quality isn't where it needs to be, all that other stuff is, you know, it's, it's a moot point. Um, so, So I'm curious, what do you, what do you think, you know, maybe is the next frontier? Like, what do we need to know more about uh, from a you know performance optimization standpoint in the pre throwing period and then a recovery optimization you know standpoint is there stuff that you know you you lay awake thinking about at night um, you know in terms of how we can best help athletes or you know is it more the implementation of of maybe what we already know?
0: Yeah, I think it's a kind of a combination of both. I mean, we're I know that myself. I'm I'm new to the the PT game. I'm new to the the baseball realm. Uh, I feel like I'm playing catch up from. You know, a lot of years past, but you know, that's what makes me wake up at night, knowing what can I do better for my athletes? Where can I like listen better to listen to some of the common stuff that they're dealing with? How can I be better with implementing some of the strategies that I mentioned above? But then also, you know, what is that uh like go to thing that's potentially still out there that we haven't kind of like stumbled upon yet? So I think it's a combination of all the above, though, honestly.
1: Great. Awesome. Well, well, folks can find you on uh, Instagram, uh, both under the CSP underscore physical therapy um, handle. And then on Instagram, your personal one is JT brave. Um, always has some good stuff up there. Um, and then obviously they can, they can find you at diamondphystherapy.com. Um, that's the physical therapy um, entity that you and, and Eric Schoenberg head up out of the, our Florida facility. Um, Tanner, this is awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to to join us and lots of really good insights here.
0: Thank you very much, Eric, and uh, wish you the best with your quick trip up to Massachusetts and can't wait for you already come back. i I miss being able to bounce questions off of you all the time. So thank you for the opportunity and invite me on the podcast.
1: You got it, man. We'll see you soon. Thanks again.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email elitebaseballpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.